another update for May 5th, 2019. I'm Flip Lutton. I'm Patrick Mifflin. I'm Brandon Perkins. I'm Chris Sologi. And I'm Lee Lamb. And uh, this week it was uh, dead, basically, mostly. Yeah. Yeah, as far as big yeah, kind of. silence that comes before E3. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, most of the stuff that, uh, came to light this week was all about shitty people. Um, mm-hmm, so pretty much. we'll be talking about shitty people. Uh, mm. but before we talk about shitty people, uh, it kind of, Ali has finally gotten his switch fix. Uh, got that uh, a couple of weeks back, I think. Yeah, about, uh, it was about two. Um, and I've been kind of just steadily, uh, steadily messing with it. And, uh, I've had a, a, pretty pretty good time for it time for it jesus christ Uh, i've had a pretty good time with it um no it's um i know dan reb's the only other person that has one right yeah well okay nobody else doesn't use their switch and handheld mode so yeah i know you guys are a bunch of damn heathens (laughs) um no so anyway no i'm really 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 been impressed with it so like i definitely think there's some things that they can improve but i'm like the long and the short of it is the form factor is fantastic like I'm, I was just talking to my wife actually right before I, I came down here to do the podcast, and I'm so fascinated by the sort of cottage industry that has come and built up around the Switch just to kind of really work with a with a form factor as far as handheld mode that's – I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not like I could design anything better probably, but um, – I just don't think it works very well. It's very uncomfortable as a system. And, and I think it has to be just because of the way that it is. It has to be modular. You have to be able to take out the Joy-Cons and everything else like that. But it also, um, I feel like, has a lot of weird um, – the Switch, not the Switch fix. But the, the Switch itself has a lot of weird callbacks, I guess, or takeaways from really like the mobile phone industry, like the kickstand and things like that. And I just feel like there's much better – uh, solutions that are a lot more elegant, frankly, and I feel like the switch fix really works that way. So the big issue is I got big hands, right? And I'm getting a little older. I'm 38 now, and I I, I work like you guys have heard me talk about before. I work for a software company, so I'm I'm on a keyboard all day, mm-hmm. and so I'm not I'm at the point now. Like I remember, it it really flared up for me um, where I can't grip things the way that I used to, just in like my main trigger fingers. Um, and it started to kind of become a problem, like like for example, um, with Spider Man, um, where they had the swinging on the uh, the R two button. Um, after playing that game for like a week straight, um, like my hands were were fucked up, and it just like I had to actually stop playing games for a while, or otherwise I wasn't going to be able to work. And um, so the Switch is kind of the same thing because it's so the Joy Cons themselves are so so thin. I haven't been able to play it in handheld mode without a dock, and the dock kind of gives you or not a dock, um, a uh, a grip. And the grip gives you something essentially to grip to it. It, it kind of widens out um, uh, in your palm the way that kind of like a, a, a DualShock 4 does or the way that the uh, Xbox One controller does. So you actually – the thing is sitting in your hands rather than having you hold it and, and gripping it, right? Mm-hmm. So um, – but it's also still one of those things that gets really, really uncomfortable for me. And the Switch Fix is sitting on my desk right now actually. Um Really kind of improves that because the the I know some people have a real issue with the pro controller. I know some people have said they don't like the D pad and everything else like that, but and and, and that's all valid. Uh, but for the the pro controller for me is definitely the most comfortable way to play Switch games. But I don't really ever play docked. 
Um, and so this really solves that problem because, and, and I know we've had pictures up and, and people have seen it from Dan Rib's review, but you know, you slide the, the switch itself and you take the joysticks off or the joy cons off and you slide it into this thing. And similar to like those, um, controller mounts that you would see for, um, mobile phones, um, you, you stick your pro controller in there, but the big difference between these, and I've used a lot of those mobile mounts for phones and things like that. Big difference between this the switch fix and those is that I don't feel like my switch or my controller are going to go anywhere um, because of the way that, that he designed it. It's essentially like a claw grip on the bottom front of the controller mm-hmm. and the back top of the controller. So like you can hook your controller and then just swing the damn thing around if you want it to, and it's not going to go anywhere. Um, the other thing that's really cool about it is, is that you can, you can manipulate the screen however you want. So like, at one point, I was having a little bit of trouble with it because it almost felt like it was way too top-heavy because what I wanted to do is I wanted to be able to have it – like if I had my controller in front of me, like sitting down flat on a desk, I almost like wanted to orient the switch fix um, to have the screen above my controller. So it was kind of like this – almost like how you a, a DS would be oriented, right, except uh-huh. much, much taller. And that was the only thing that I could say didn't really work because of the weight of the switch screen. So I had to kind of pull it up a little bit. Um, and then after that, like, cause you can slide the switch screen up and down in the actual switch fix. So you can have, um, like looking at it, the, the piece that holds a switch in goes in on the rails. Um, and it's, it's one piece that it looks like he has attached because he 3d printed this and attached the two pieces, the one that holds the controller and then the one that holds the switch and he attached it with a nut. It looks like, and that's what lets you get the flexibility for the screen to move it up and down. Um, and you can also orient it any way that you want. So like you can have it completely flat, like have the way you could flatten out a, a, a 3ds. Um, or you can actually literally have the screen sitting on top of your hands, um, and just kind of find any balance that you want to. And so, that eliminates my control problem with the Joy-Cons. Um, he is even like smart enough to where you have everything hooked up. The bottom of the switch is completely unimpeded. So you can, if you're playing it, and you can still plug in a power adapter without any issue. You can plug in um, a USB cord, uh, the USB-C cord directly into it and not have anything get in the way. And so that in itself I thought was really, really cool. But then the thing that really kind of sealed the deal for me is, is just really enjoying this thing is – um, I ended up uh, at one point, uh, my wife was, um, she's been having issues with her, with her legs. So, um, I've been staying upstairs a lot to help her just in case she has any issues or anything else like that. And so I was playing a switch fix with my son. And the other cool thing that, that he designed, and, and they talk about this in the video is you can take that, the, the piece that holds the controller in place will also balance the switch screen by itself completely. So you can set it down on a table, adjust the screen, however you need to, and, you're not worried about it falling over. You're not worried about that flimsy kickstand giving out or anything else like that. And you can set it on the table and it gets it probably a good at least six inches off the mm-hmm. ground as opposed to the switch when you just put it, you know, on the kickstand and it's kind of angled wrong and then you're just kind of looking down at a table. So you can have two controllers, have this thing almost at eye level basically if you're sitting back and play with multiple people. So like that that whole thing that we saw Nintendo do with their advertisement of like, hey guys, you know you could take this Switch to a rooftop party? Like this is what you should bring to a rooftop party because then you're not worried about some asshole spilling something and fucking up your Switch. Mm. You, you know, it's, it's And then you got to the kill him. Yeah. Exactly. Then you got to throw him You got to push him off the roof is what you have yeah, to do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So so there's a lot of there's a lot of thought that this guy put into this to where people can use it the way that they need to. And and that is 
the most interesting part about this design, because I've screwed around with some of the other boutique stuff that you see uh, the Switch, you know, people coming out with. And I think besides my actual grip case that I have, this is probably the coolest thing that I've seen anybody produce. Um, the only drawbacks that I, I can really see it having and maybe a thing for some people is, is that it is 3D printed. Like if this guy, if he's able to get the funding that he needs through uh, Indiegogo, right? He's able to get the funding that he needs through Indiegogo, which I will definitely contribute. And he can actually get like injection molding done on this and get some really, really high quality plastic. I mean, this thing would be a premium item. Um, so I, I, I sincerely hope that he is able to um, uh, to get funding and to do exactly what he needs to kind of get this off the ground because it's so cool for for somebody like me who, again, I'm, I'm getting a little bit older, man. I can't I can't hold on to these things and, and just be uncomfortable for hours just because I want to be able to play a game. And with the way that my life is sort of switched, um, um I do play my Switch a lot because I, I the pick-up-and-play factor of it is really, really important to me. And being able to play it comfortably this way um, is really, really cool. Um, so I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I, there, I, It's literally my Switch is sitting in it right now, and I have it plugged into – I have a, a USB-C cord plugged into it charging. Because like I said, I just don't really ever use my dock. Um, and it, it's great. And it's the same thing like, you know – I don't have the the hand problems that I had of sitting there holding the thing and and just also being able to orient it to where you want the screen to be instead of having to lift your hands up to do it is also something that's really cool because I, I tend to look down when I game mm-hmm. and so this has actually changed it up so like I, I'm keeping my head straight which also you know frankly again I'm staring at a computer screen I'm typing all day like that's those are things that I have to be a lot more cognizant of now cognizant of now than I did when I was like 24 and, you know, I could slump over and be drinking Mountain Dew and sleep two hours a night. Like it's a different ball game now. Um, and so I, that. I, right. And so I really, really, I just think this is a great design and I hope he's able to get the funding um, that he needs. Uh, Cause there's, there's a lot of thought was obviously put into this to not only how he would play with it, but how other people would play with it. I think the only other thing that some people may not like is that I wouldn't recommend playing in bed and laying flat and then having like the switch above you. Like, I don't feel like it's balanced that way, but I've never played that way. I'm always sitting up when I play, but like, I know some people that'll sit there and like read their phones at night and drop them on their face. Like Dan Rib, Rib, exactly. Like (laughs) I definitely would not recommend that. You will definitely hit yourself in the face hard with your switch and the pro controller. And that shit hurts. (laughs) Yeah. So unless I, and and, you know, I don't think he's going to implement an airbag solution for this. So, Uh um, but yeah, I, I seriously, I'm not just saying that because this guy's come onto our show. Like if this thing genuinely sucked or something, I would totally say that, but it is, it is fulfilling something that I needed because playing my switch undocked has never been that comfortable. And I've already spent 65, no, excuse me, over like $150 on different things to make the switch comfortable. Um, and this is the, this is the one that, that I definitely feel is taking care of everything. The other part of it too, is that I like D pads. Now I do think the switch pro controllers D pad is stiff, but I play a lot of 2d games on my switch. So I even so I even had two of my Joy-Cons modded to put D-pads on them. So not being able to have to worry about that and just using the most comfortable way to play the Switch and have this thing attached. So I do have a D-pad and I can do all that kind of stuff. It's just it's awesome. Um and I think the other thing the other thing that's really cool about it too is that it's not um remember on the show we were talking about uh, a couple weeks back we were talking about like those Game Boy add-ons that made the thing look like it was a Gundam. Yeah. Like, this is this is not that. It is 
It has a very small footprint. It's very thoughtfully designed. Um, and, and like That's I said, because it could have very easily been, yeah, that. it could have been, it could have been a monstrosity. Um, but you know, again, there's just, there was just obviously so much thought put into this. And I find that again, the design of it really, really elegant. And if he can get the materials like, like, and do injection molding or like a really high quality plastic instead of like 3d printed stuff, uh, there's no reason this thing wouldn't sell like gangbusters, especially for people that have the, the grip problems that I do. Yeah. So I, I think it's a great product, and I really, really hope you're successful with it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Hear that, Austin? You've got a, you've got a, a convert. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Endorsement. Yep. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. So where do you want to go from here? You want to talk about what you've been playing, Lee, or you want to just jump into another realm? Yeah, no, just real quick. And obviously, the reason we're doing this is because I got to jump off early, so I apologize, guys. Um, so, we're playing Assassin's happens. Creed. We're playing Assassin's Creed Origins. So, here's. So, let me just tell you guys this. I um, I bought an OLED TV mm-hmm. because I got an absolutely like absurd like you must have stole this deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like, like this, my computer, <laughs> right? Like this mm-hmm. fell off of a truck, but I'm okay knowing that. Um, and so. So we got the OLED, um, and I had, a, I, had a, I had a very nice Samsung before a 4K TV, like one of their top end, the uh, second to top end that they put out in um, 2017, the KS7000. Mm-hmm. Great TV, but it had a bloom effect on blacks that really fucking bothered me. And, you know, OLED, you know, the black is truly black because they can turn off yeah. the pixels. So I got this absurd price on a, on a 65-inch TV um, where I basically got it for like 65 no, 75% off because it was last year's model and they were liquidating them. Um, Definitely so, came off a truck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But again, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm living my best life. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, hey, truck but drivers no, so, need to make a living too, you know. Exactly, uh-huh. exactly. So no, so I got it, right? And I got it and I got it home. And I first of all, I have to hand it to Samsung. The way that you actually have to set up their TVs is much better than LG. Like whoever designed the stand on this thing should be slapped in the mouth with a baseball bat. <laughs> like you have to – so, you know, these things are super, super thin. They're, I mean they're literally like – it seems like two centimeters thin, the actual screen. But what you have to do is you have to attach – you have to lay the screen flat and attach basically a 40-pound back-end heavy stand to it with four screws. And then you're supposed to pick it up off the ground. So the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like I'm going to shear the screen and just snap it. Um, so it's a very harrowing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason I'm bringing that up is because um, one of the things that has been so interesting to me this generation has been how games implement HDR. And some games are really shitty at it. And some games are really, really phenomenal. And to me, having HDR is much more important, I think, than 4K because it, it, it provides a similar, to me, pop and experience that the way it felt for us when we moved from SD to HD consoles. And then also I feel like the jump between like bad polygon games to like really good looking polygon games. You know, it's like the equivalent to me of. And again, this is sort of a, a jump, but like going from Atari straight to like Neo Geo, that's what it feels like. All these colors, all these different things that you couldn't see before, all these options for these games that are really beautiful to to even kind of lean more into that. And so I'd been playing Assassin's Creed Origins on my regular on my my really nice Samsung. It was gorgeous. But it's a different level on this OLED. Like just seeing like the shine off of the pyramids, you know, like they because you know this is pretty historically accurate. Um, one of the things that freaked me out was I was playing, and I'm, I'm really big into Egypt, um, so being able to walk around some of these places like the pyramids and 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 um, the Sphinx and all of that, and just kind of be out in that area is really really cool. Um, 
one of the things that tripped me out is, you know, you know, climbing some of these temples and stuff. And then all of these things that I'd seen pictures of my whole life, uh, you know, the, these statues and everything, um, or the carvings on the walls and stuff, you know, when we see them, they're just bare rock, right? But you can yeah. see everything that was chiseled in. Well, in the game, because of the time period it takes in, they're painted. Yeah. Which, which of course they would be, right? Like, of course these people would paint that. I don't know why it didn't occur to me that, of course, this stuff would have been colorful at the time that it existed. Well, that's um, actually pretty common for not just Egypt, but also like Greece and the right. Roman Empire. All those things. We, we, you know, we look at them and think, oh, these stark, artistic. Is it? No, they were gauche and we painted yeah. and exactly. tones and everything. Yeah, and it just, but it never occurred to me. And so, like going through and kind of experiencing that has been a real treat, especially with this this monitor, like this their monitor, the TV, the saturation on the colors is just it's. It's astonishing. I bet. Um, so, yeah, so I've been playing that. I've been really enjoying that. I recently, uh, just yesterday, a, a buddy of mine, because uh, of the free weekend, told me to jump in and play um, uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands. You guys remember um, CJ Harris from over yeah. back here at Game Addicts? Yeah. Mm. So she she was the one that was like, get on this free weekend. Turns out I already had the game, which that's amazing. Um, and so I jumped in, and, and uh, I was a huge fan back in the day of, of playing Rainbow Six Vegas because they had this thing called a terrorist hunt. And basically, like, you go to a different level and you just basically do a body count in the in the level. And this is like that, but like open world. And so we played probably last night for probably about three hours, just like, you know, driving up to a place. You know, it's, it's open world, but it's it's in like a Latin American country. And uh, what was remarkable to me is there's a drone mechanic in it that works the exact same way as the bird in Assassin's Creed Origin. You lift it up and identifies targets and then, you know, you take them out. Except the big difference here is that I could shoot them. As opposed to like stabbing them in the neck, and I also can't climb. But it was kind of they're both really really fun. But it was actually kind of really interesting to me to see. And maybe it's like this now because I'm I'm still I'm still behind. I don't play a lot of these big titles these days. But it seems like this is a mashup of the way that Assassin's Creed world and like the Far Cry worlds work. And they just slapped Ghost Recon's name on it, like to the yeah. gun physics and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but that so that's been interesting. I've been doing a. Uh, Dragon Quest Six. I've been playing Hearthstone, and I've been going through a uh, golf story on my Switch because of that Switch fix. Mm-hmm. So I've also yes. been I've also been hacking uh, Vitas. So that's been that's been fun. If you guys haven't haven't done that, like we were talking about at the beginning of the show, you totally should. So when do you start Octopath? I am actually planning on starting Octopath next week. We were supposed to go yes. out of town um, for uh, Mother's Day. Uh, we were going to go see my wife's family, and then something came up. So we're just going to be here. So I'm going to be spoiling my wife that weekend and then probably playing Octopath in the in the meantime. That's actually, like, top on my list. Like, this is going to be the next thing that I jump into. Because, again, I can – I know that's going to be a game that when I start playing it, I'm not going to want to stop. Exactly. So, and, but being able to set it down and, and play it comfortably is so important. So, like, I'm I'm super, super psyched to be it honest. Is, I bought it when it came out. Just yeah, we it all is the Final Fantasy VI of this decade. See, I just, oh god, Pat, don't do that to me. <laughs> like, and, get, oh. and for all the same reasons. Yeah. I love Final Fantasy VI. Yeah. I might That's have why I've been impressing favorite. upon you to play this game, <laughs> right? Well, like I said, I got it, um, and it and it is like I said, I'm I'm that's my plan next weekend. Oh yeah, like we're gonna take my wife to get a massage, like during the downtime. I'm gonna be playing that. Yeah, uh, yeah I can't wait. So. I, I am uh, I am definitely there, so I'm also, sure I'm sure you guys will get messages from me like, oh my god, <laughs> why didn't you tell me this was so good? I'll be like, we did yeah. it. Several times. Yep. Been telling you. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah. Also, shout outs to our old friend Patrick Carroll there with the Rainbow Six Vegas mention. Yeah, he's he's wow. doing his thing. <laughs> yep. 
God, I haven't heard that name in ages. Yeah, he worked on it. Oh, Dude, that is seriously, to this day, the most fun, I think, besides back when we were all playing Fantasy Star Online together, I think that to this day is probably the most fun I've ever had in an online shooter because I would just, I would play with guys from, from SRK. Yeah. And, and then like, you know, obviously like my, my real friends in real life and just the, the stuff that the enemies would say, like when you shoot somebody else in the face, they'd be like, Oh my God, they killed Manuel. And then like, there'd be some random dude. that would be like, you know, like, fuck that. Let's get him. Or you'd get a different response where they think they'd be like, Manuel owed me money. <laughs> you know, like and so what, the thing that happened was we'd just make it like this big joke. Like who's the first one that's going to kill Manuel because he was never identified, but they would call out when you finally killed whoever was Manuel, they would get very incensed about it. And, you know, just, See, and it was always this, like almost the same level every time, but it would just be so different. And, like we, at one point, we ended up being able to not glitch the game, but we were able to crash um, uh, 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 Detaika from Raphael from from SRK. We were able to crash his Xbox 360 because we managed to get the terrorists to walk through one corridor, and we shot them all. So the bodies started piling up. <laughs> you could see you could see the physics engine break; like their legs would start twitching because they were on top of each other. And then, as more and more bodies ended up in the hallway, the frame rate would drop substantially until finally his Xbox would shut down. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, that is. And two was not nearly as good. It just didn't have the same magic. But you know, I think it was also one of those things too because I was playing it with fighting game people, and we had been to the UNLV campus. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just being out in that area for Evo made a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah that's what I've been doing. All right. Uh, so yeah, I'll uh, fill in my, what I've been doing. It's been uh, Mortal Kombat 11 mostly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's talking about games that have uh, nice HDR support. That's one of them. Yeah. Uh, Tetris Effect also with some nice HDR support in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, those are the two games that I've been playing. I can't. I can't seem to stop playing Tetris Effect. It's like, well, it's Tetris. I have that. By the way, I need yeah. to just fire it up. Yeah, you fire it up. Put the headphones on. Uh, you know, turn HDR mode on, and then just go. Oh my god, why haven't I played this sooner? Yeah, if you should happen to come across a PlayStation VR, then by all means, partake. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what. I I'm almost interested in VR, like the for Tetris and for Ace Combat. Like those are the things that would get me into it. I don't know. Yeah. Ace Combat's VR enabled. Yes, yes. Yeah. Actually, oh. CJ told me about it, and she was like, "You you literally in the cut co- now? There's only apparently four missions." But mm-hmm. like it's it's complete. Like you can look around every which way in the cockpit. Like so, you can dogfight like a real pilot. Like that that has me like oh shit. Fuck yes. Yeah. So yeah. Man, yeah. You thought you were been playing things. the uh, you've been playing some VR the past week. Yes. Uh, I jumped in on your stream last night where you're playing Gran Turismo and uh, yeah. Apparently the effect is convincing enough that you were trying to put your arm up on the uh, on the door that wasn't there. Yeah. I need to get like some towel racks or something to put next to my chair when I'm playing Gran Turismo VR because I just have that impulse when I finish a race. I just want to lean my arm up on the door of the car and it's not there. And yeah, it works. I what can I say? Yeah. But um, yeah, I've been doing a lot of PlayStation VR stuff. I um. I actually hit myself with Wipeout Omega Collection last night. Oh, um, 
That went pretty well, actually. I'm, I'm now at a point where I can um, play that on VR and still keep my food on the inside. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, uh, zone mode is spectacular hmm. in VR. Like it, it feels like that was what um, that was what they were really shooting to make work with uh, the VR mode in particular. But it's not like Gran Turismo where you just kind of get a narrow vertical slice of the game in VR. No, this is a total conversion. Mm. So um, if you have a PlayStation VR, Wipeout Omega Collection is 100% compatible. Shit, I hadn't thought about Wipeout. Yeah. Mm. Right? Yeah, that's a pretty good version of that game. It is. Um, I played that. Obviously, Tetris Effect. Um, Doom VFR I, pl- I picked up uh, it was kind of a dud I was hoping it would just be the the regular game with VR compatibility it was not yeah. but um, fuck it I'm only out 15 bucks on that so whatever um, but just Gran Turismo Drive Club, Wipeout, the racing games are making the investment um, more than worth it just by itself Mm-hmm. Um, I oh, like I, I'm sure there are other VR compatible games that I've got just chilling on my PS4 that I haven't thought about yet. But just being able to to have that experience of driving around um, in in first person cockpit view, you know, with the top down, like Phil, you saw what the atmosphere was like just going around uh, Tsukuba Circuit on a just this overcast Japanese morning and I could look all, all around at the scenery. I, it, it was amazing. Yeah. And see, I think if they can make VR cheap enough and they can make it, um, I mean, God, I hate this word, but immersive enough, like these kinds of experiences where there. You, would, you would, you would, well, I know that, but like for me, I need, well, it's, it's too much to get into right now, but like, like I think this is going to be the next big step. Like we always heard for years, like VR is going to be where it's at. Like, but for me, it's going to be those transformative experiences, like what you're talking about that you couldn't get otherwise unless yeah. you played it in that specific mode. So Wipeout, the Ace Combats, the Tetrises, like playing a first person shooter game in mm. VR doesn't really interest me that much. Same, but mm. like be, because you know. And it's gonna sound ridiculous, but like I can I could run around with a gun if I wanted to, <laughs> like I, that, or like just walking around. Like your 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 the base experience in and of itself is not different if the TV is attached to my face. Yeah. But like something with like Ace Combat, where the natural motion of being able to turn around and look through the cockpit and do anything, or like if I'm flying straight, being able to look to my right and and below me and see a plane go flying by, that is a completely different experience when it's attached to your face. Mm-hmm. Or, or like what we're talking about, a super fast game like Wipeout. And, and that – I think – I sometimes wonder too maybe if it's also corresponds to those kinds of effects and also the feeling of speed, right? Like yeah. those are the things that are going to be like for the racing games and all that stuff. Because like ironically, for using my same argument, I can also drive a car. But doing 200 miles an hour in a car on a racetrack that I'll never be able to go to and being able to actually experience the the tactile feeling of looking around – as opposed to the game sticking my head in one position, that's that's where like I'm like that's where the possibilities of things really open up for me and interest me. Yeah, uh, give, give my stream a look there because I, okay. I'm sure it's still there on um, 
on Twitch. I only did it last night, so it should be archived there still. Okay. And just see how I went about Gran Turismo. And for me, personally, like, not being medically cleared to drive, um, for me, it was just that experience of driving around at all and taking and just having a relaxing drive right. through, like, the Japanese countryside um, in one particular area. Phil, you remember that forest? Yeah. That I kept just getting distracted by. <laughs> um, yeah, just I, I picked a Mazda Roadster. I um, I went through um, just this one track in the Japanese countryside, and um, at one point you're basically driving through a canyon, and it's just amazing to see. And so I was just looking out the side of the car because I had the top down, and oh. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, that's quite just, translate when you actually watch it, though, because you've got that sense of yeah. depth, and we don't. Yeah, uh, yeah. And did, the, did my head tracking come across on the? Yeah, that, that comes okay. across. Yeah, but it's still, you know, for us, it's yeah, two D image. It's true. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I hope that the combination of my reactions to it and what you saw on the video um, sort of gave you an impression of, yeah. uh, you know, what I was experiencing and. Uh, yeah, I, I got a really good deal on the PlayStation VR. I, um, since I already had the PlayStation camera, uh, GameStop hooked me up with just the headset for 170. Yeah. So that was a good enough price for me to step in and I'm glad I did. So do we know if the PlayStation VR hardware is going to be backwards compatible with the PS5? Cause that's kind of the thing where I'm like, I don't want to jump in. Emphatic. Okay. About because yeah, that's um, one of those things where I don't want to jump into it if it's like yeah. oh there's going to be a new one that releases next gen. No. PlayStation VR is PlayStation VR, and the helmet you have or will have if you go and grab one today mm-hmm. is the same one that you'll be using on the PS5. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think we'll just get a better headset. Yeah, I'm sure like there'll I'm sure years. there'll be a new model of it, yeah. but um, you're not going to run into any walls like nope, this one isn't going to work on your PS5. It's compatible. Don't even worry about that. All right. Well, about you, my turn. Other than that, I've been um, playing Final Fantasy XIV, and I'm in there right now kind of taking a look at my uh, holdings. Mm-hmm. Okay. My turn? Yep. All right. Uh, so, I yeah, I am still playing Mortal Kombat 11, like pretty much everybody else. Yep. Um, finished the uh, story mode. Um, which, for those you don't know, the story mode actually has like I think it's like three or four different endings depending on how that last fight with Chronica goes. Three, um, three, three, yeah. I did the research on YouTube. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that last fight with Chronica is a bitch. <laughs> it really is. Um, because you know if you play her like regularly in like the towers going up against her, um. She, you know, it's a one-round fight where, like... Endurance fight. Yeah, where, like, twice during it, uh, she basically fucks off and has one of her servants show up briefly to fight you. Uh, but the in the, in the story mode, it's a two-round fight, but you still have to deal with the same shit <laughs> in both rounds. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, there's one ending if you lose. There's one ending um, if you if it goes two rounds, and there's one ending if it goes three rounds. I believe. Yeah. Um. And uh, damn, it's 
the way they end that basically puts the puts it up so that they can pretty much do anything they want for MK12. Yeah, the um, pretty much all of the promotions surrounding that game promised a new era, and that's what you get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, you know, I've also done that. I've done. I've been doing the crypt, which, uh, you know, this time around, um, the crypt is a third-person adventure thing that you can do instead of like the first-person thing in MK11. Mm-hmm. Um, also, and figured out that the crypt uh, is completely optional this time around. Yep. Yeah. Um. Basically, in the crypt, uh, it's basically the ruins of Shang Tsung's island. So you get to sort of wander around. And uh, if you remember how, you know, if, you, if you're if you a fan of the first Mortal Kombat, uh, pretty or much the all the, or the movie, yes, the movie too, uh, all of the stages and locations from that first Mortal Kombat you can uh, see and walk around. Um, so like, you know, if you remember the arena from the very first with, you know, the monks in the background and Shang Tsung on his throne and the guards with their masks and their spears. It's there. You can go there. Um, they're not alive anymore. Yeah, they're there. Yeah, but they're there. I mean, I guess when Shang Tsung died, he basically took all <laughs> the yeah. life in this place with him. Um, and, uh, you know, you can go to the shrine with all the statues um, the first Mortal Kombat, that's also there. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and the pit. You can go to the pit. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, hey, do you remember in Mortal Kombat 2, you had those two dudes at the pit that were fighting in the background? One dude was, like, on fire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're still there, and they're still fighting. Nice. Um, and, uh... Let's see. Oh yeah, I want the lore explanation for that because that has to be epic. Yeah, um, fighting also, for like twenty five years there. Yeah, um, you can also go to Goro's lair down at the bottom if you remember mm-hmm. from the uh, original. It's there as well, um, and uh, yeah, I mean all that stuff is there. Um, there's also, uh, of course, you got all the chests that are around, which are basically loot boxes. I mean, let's be honest. Um, there's also, uh, but basically one of the things that you do in this game as you go in the crypt is you get various objects from the game that you can use for different purposes. So like the first thing you get is, uh, Shao Kahn's hammer and you can use that to basically break shit, uh, you know, vases or skeletons or walls that you can break through to get into secret areas. Um, and then after that you get the, uh, uh, Scorpion's uh, spear chain, and basically that is for something you can use to get hearts. Um, because the uh, chests that you'll come across in the crypt that have the Shao Kahn head on top of them, uh, those take hearts, and the minimum is like two fifty. Um, and it just to remind. For people who don't know, in the game, in order to get uh, hearts in the game, you basically have to do either a fatality, which will get you one, or you can do a brutality, which will get you two. Um, and you use those, and, but if you're in the crypt and you've got the spear chain, 
Um, basically, what'll what'll happen is as you're going around, you'll find just these random poor bastards impaled on spikes or hanging from nooses, and some of them are still alive, might I add. So, um, yeah, that is not unsettling at all to uh, <laughs> walking around Shang Tsung's arena and hearing some dude basically choking forever. Hmm. Um, but basically, you take the chain, takes them, he takes the you know. Rips them off the spike, brings them back to them, and then rips them in half. It's mm. that's how you get them. And then the last one I've gotten so far, um, because uh, for those who don't know, the crypt actually isn't completely open just yet. They've still got areas that are blocked off for now. Um, time release. Yeah, time released. Um, there is uh, the uh, the blindfold from Kenshi. I can, Kenshi. Yeah, I can never remember that dude's name. For some reason, but anyway, uh, and that will actually, if you put the blindfold on, it will either show you uh, hidden treasures that you can get or uh, possible places you can go for a hidden area. Uh, it's also where the crypt beast is. <laughs> yeah, you'll put the blindfold on, and sometimes it'll just be like there. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Um, as far as I know, there isn't like any actual penalty for getting caught by the crypt beast, uh, hmm. but. It will make you shed your pants. Maybe a couple years of your life. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much all I got for MK11 uh, for the mo- for the moment. Um, other than that, uh, I have been playing Tales of Vesperia Definitive Edition on my PS4, and I think I'm just about finished with it. Um, yeah, that's another game I'm going back to on Switch. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a good game. When I, tell, when I recommend people who are just getting into the Tales series, I usually tell them to try Symphonia first and not Vesperia, because I like Vesperia a lot. Vesperia is a good game, but it does, it is sort of slow when it gets started up. Um, Whereas Symphonia is a bit more on the nose, I guess. Um, But basically, as everybody knows, and I've talked about the Tales series before, the way the Tales series basically work is they're basically what they do is they try to get all of the tropes and cliches they can get built up at once at the beginning of the game so that by the midpoint of the game and usually like it's it, it literally is like the midpoint of the game it's almost you can almost measure the game by which point this usually happens usually there is some massive oh shit moment that happens right in the middle that basically takes the entire story and flips it on his head So, like, in Tales of Vesperia, the big deconstruction they do is the concept of player-based morality. You know, like, what a a lead character is and why, you know, what what exactly is it that lets them be sort of, lets them make these massive decisions that millions of people never have any, you know, say in and what gives you the right to do that. Um, so you, and in and this then there's ca- this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because in this case, the guy that you're playing as, uh, Yuri Lowell, um, so you know how in like most, uh, RPGs when there's like a bad guy and you go up against him and there's going to be like, okay, there's going to be this epic boss fight and we're going to have like a, maybe some other soldiers fighting and there's your party and you kick his ass. Uh, for two of the big villains in this game. Uh, he doesn't do that. 
uh, he just finds them in the middle of the night and he straight up murders them. Like it's it's not even no unceremoniously, just... unceremoniously. Like the first dude, he gets him out in the city in the finds him out in the city in the middle of the night and cuts him and then dumps his body in the river. And then the other dude, he uh, lets him drown in quicksand. Doesn't even offer his hand to help him. That's and that's the least of the oh shit moments that actually yeah. happen in this game. Um, damn, it's fine. And uh, in and of itself, makes him one of my favorite RPG protagonists of all time. Yeah, because he's like, because he's like, look, man, seriously, these guys are assholes, and the whole system has completely failed in doing anything to bring them to justice. So fuck these guys. Um. But yeah, so it's pretty much what I've been playing. So, uh, Chris, what about you? Uh, yeah, so I've been uh, playing more Borderlands Game of the Year edition on uh, PS4, and uh, really liking it. I have kind of gotten to the point where my guy is starting to be uh, impossible to kill, mm-hmm. or is at least getting some aspects of it. I have uh, one of my my like class mod is essentially regenerates ammo for me, so I don't have to worry about running out of ammo now. Uh, especially for uh, some of the guns that don't drop ammo as much as others, like the rocket launcher and grades, stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. I do like games that kind of let you become invincible uh, over time, like Saints Row the Third, uh, the way you kind of just kept upgrading yourself and eventually you kind of just become a, a juggernaut that can't be killed and kind of just focus on the fun part of the game. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I've gotten to the, the third area in that, which I didn't even know there were more than one uh, when I originally was playing it. So uh, yeah, I've just kind of hit a, a good point where uh, now I am sort of on a good good path to finishing the game. Uh, so that's been fun. Um, yesterday's stream for uh, our Twitch was uh, Dreams. Uh, which we ended up playing a bunch of the new stuff that people have been making over the past couple of weeks. Mm. And there's a lot of really cool stuff on there right now. Uh, a lot of stuff that's work-in-progress stuff. Uh, like uh, somebody is working on a uh, way to kind of have like a Resident Evil, like PS1-style Resident Evil game, mm-hmm. uh, complete with like the tank controls, though you uh, <laughs> control that with yeah. uh, the right stick kind of thing. So you just turn them left and right with the right stick and go forward to the left. Uh, complete with like a low resolution look to it. Uh, that is pretty cool. As a, uh, it kind of just gives you an area to kind of walk around in with that. And there's like one area where it goes into like a third person mode, kind of like a RE4. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, that that was pretty cool to see. There's a bunch of racing prototypes. Uh, there was one based on F Zero. Uh, one that's based on Wipeout, it's trying to emulate the control controls and all that. Uh, that would be so hard to nail. Yeah, it seems pretty good so far. Um, There's one that is uh, Motorstorm, essentially, uh, complete with uh, the boost mechanic where you uh, can explode if you boost too much. Uh, That one was pretty well done. Uh, Even uh, Paul Rushinsky, the director for the Motorstorm games, found that... Uh, when he was playing it, and said they'd done a good job. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's some good stuff in there. Uh, what else? There's another one that is kind of uh, a general kind of uh, arcade racer kind of mode. Uh, 
where it kind of gives you this like oval uh, desert track to kind of drive around in. Um, that one works out pretty well. Uh, and there's some that just uh, try to do different things. There's one that's has the art style of Dexter's Lab in it. It's just like Dexter's Room. Uh, when you try, you can run around. It has a little bit of cell shading in there too. Uh, it looks pretty cool. Uh, there's some stuff that wasn't so great. Uh, one that was uh, Johnny Bravo, mm-hmm. which is a character model that kind of looked like him, like very f- like first pass kind of run over that. Uh, but then they recorded audio from I think the theme song on their phone, so it sounds like that like low quality uh, audio stuff in there. Uh, yeah, there's a Tetris I played, uh, which the issue was that kind of once you got to the the blocks to the bottom, it took a few seconds before it like set, so it was kind of uh, a bit hard to kind of set stuff up uh, when you're trying to you know move your focus to the next thing. And it's uh, still holding on to the other one for you. Uh, what else? There's uh, some cool uh, music stuff. Uh, Medium Molecule has a bunch of music up there of their own that they put up for people to use. So I've only heard a couple games that use that. Uh, there's some first-person shooter stuff. One that's Metroid Prime inst- uh, inspired. Gives you kind of a boss fight, though. And like four different like elemental uh, beams for the gun. Uh, the water one just caused the model to freak out. It was the only one that was doing damage, as far as I could tell. Uh, like the, if you shot at one of the limbs, the limb would just start waving around weird. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Uh, even in this early uh, part where people are just trying to figure out uh, ways of emulating things they know mm. and sort of figure out how to build stuff around that. And technically, we're still beta. Yeah, it's early access still. Mm. Uh, they and Medium Molecule has said that they've found, uh, or they're going to be adding some more stuff next month, yeah. uh, like new tutorials and uh, some other stuff that they're going to look to add based on feedback. I think a way to do some control stuff without the motion controls that are in it. That'd be nice. Uh, right now, for people that would like that, um, and yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a really fun thing to kind of jump through all these different dreams uh, just see what kind of cool stuff people are coming up with because you can find people that are just like you know what I am really interested in this kind of game I'm just going to focus on this or people that make uh, character models and like making assets for other people to use in their games so you don't necessarily have to like you know if you're making like an indoor area uh, you know you don't have to make your own fridge you can look on there and find somebody's fridge and it'll make uh, proper credits for all that stuff uh, when you get to the the final game, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of cool stuff in there. Like, uh, there was a rhythm game that was a platformer as well, so you jump to the beat, uh, and it does a lot of stuff to fuck with you with that. Uh, that was pretty fun. Um, I'm trying to think what else I played in there. Uh, there was one that was uh, it was just a it was a I ended on this cool little thing called Radical, which is like a an exercise like a rhythm exercise kind of video, uh, but with uh, people that were decaying, zombies. And so it was like 80s inspired. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, they were kind of dressed like what you probably saw in like 80s exercise tapes. Uh, and they were just kind of zombies that were just disappearing. Hmm. Uh, had like body parts just shaking as they were dancing and all that. And that was just fun. Uh, but yeah, that game has a lot of cool stuff in it. 
And it's definitely recommended for people that want to make their own stuff. I got a couple ideas for some other stuff. I'm still working on my Picross thing. Uh, working on how to make the score work the way I want it to, so it knows when a puzzle is completely done right. Yeah. Uh, just so I can have a good template and then work on expanding that with more puzzles. Um, yeah. But I do have some other other stuff because. Yeah, I was watching a Giant Bomb's streams video. They had a couple of the the Giant Bomb or uh, Media Molecule people in, and the one guy essentially in the course of a couple minutes made uh without knowing what the actual animals looked like, made a weird mix of an echidna and a capybara creature. Uh, made a character model just using moves. Uh, and then made a whole little scene around it with uh, him and uh, a sloth, like a party sloth, and a miniature T-Rex. Just had this little scene of these like creatures kind of hanging out. And it only took him like five minutes. He's wow. also a medium molecule guy, so he knows... Like the the tools really well, yeah. Uh, and also in his spare time, he made a uh, a pool game essentially in there. Yeah, it looks really good. Mm. Uh, with like realistic fire in the the fireplace. Uh, like you said, he still has to put a, a gramophone in there for some music that he got one of his buddies to make. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it looks it looks really good. The physics are a little bit weird, but. Uh, you know, for something he said he made in about like eight hours over three nights, uh, it was really impressive. So yeah, that's something that's got a lot of potential to do some really cool stuff for people that want to make stuff in there. Yeah, like people yeah, are already sure. setting up their own like development studios within Dreams. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've seen a lot of people that figured out how to make like uh, logo screens for their games, mm. so with their developer logo on it, uh, which is pretty good. There's there's a there's a free ski game in there. If you know that classic Microsoft uh, skiing game, Windows like ninety five. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. It's called Dream Ski. Nice. Complete with a monster that eventually hunts you down and eats you. Of course. Uh, well, it wouldn't be authentic without that. Yeah. Uh, there was a horror game uh, that was Shrek inspired. We were playing as uh, Lord Farquaad, uh, mm-hmm. trying to get to the end of the level uh, and avoid the Shrek eating you. Mm. Uh, that was first person too, so I got into a maze and then uh, I said I, lo- I lost and saw the Shrek. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like Slenderman game in there. There's you know PT stuff. Uh, it's course. a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, been playing more Rocket League. I finished up all the quests on this week's Rocket Pass challenges, mm-hmm. uh, which wasn't too hard. The the one that I had last was just getting MVP in games. Uh, in like three games, uh, I had just gotten to two by the time I got the rest of the challenges done. But uh, yeah, that game is just uh, still a ton of fun. And uh, we'll be talking more about what's going on with that uh, in the near future. And I uh, also played SteamWorld Quest, uh, which is the, the newest SteamWorld game that is kind of a mix of JRPG and card-based combat. Uh, that is just a lot of fun. I finished up the, the next chapter I was working on. Uh, which kind of had a lengthy dungeon uh, area to explore. Um, got some new nice cards. Uh, one that lets me just add uh, with uh, one of the guys adds like a a health regeneration buff to my character, so they start regaining some health over a course of like three turns. I think it lasts. Uh, give me some more options for building up these characters and maybe finding ways to 
uh, focus them on certain uh, on certain uh, aspects of the, the the way you can sort of do your card design, your deck designs. Now they got a bunch of cards for each of them that I can kind of build up some cool stuff. I kind of wish you could set up loadouts for like decks. Okay, here's yeah, I'm running this some characters that might be uh, weak to ice, so I want to pull out the ice deck for my mage character. Uh, that stuff would be nice. But uh, for now, that's uh, it's kind of been what I'm playing, those four games. Uh, our stream tonight is going to be Sea of Thieves for the Xbox stream. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's added uh, like a campaign to it mm-hmm. and some other stuff. So I'm going to be checking that out. And that is, I think it should be about done downloading by now. Mm. But it's a, it was a 34 gig up uh, download <laughs> compared to six, like 18, I think, when it was launched. Yeah. So they've been constantly working on that thing. Uh, but that's been pretty much it. All right. Uh, okay, so we have a bunch of stuff to get through, uh, but I'm going to jump ahead ahead a little bit to another realm because uh, at least time is limited, so I want get, to get to that before he takes off. So, yeah, this um, we've spoken a lot in the past about kind of how, um, frankly, game companies take advantage of not only their workforce but their customers. You know, we had that situation last generation where you would have people that were actively arguing um, against what's called the first sale doctrine, which basically just means if you buy something, you own it and you have the right to resell it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of developers were very interested in trying to get away with uh, completely um, or not developers and publishers. Let's be fair uh, because there were definitely developers involved in this, but it was definitely the main, the main folks against this were, were, uh, were publishers or for this were publishers basically where they wanted to take away the, the ability for people to, to buy used games. Um, and I think as, as much as I love this industry and I love the things that are produced, I think we really have to grapple at some point with the fact that, uh, a lot of these games that we love are, are produced by people that are treated really, really fucking poorly. Yeah. And what we're seeing now is, is U.S. Gamer wrote a really uh, – a guy named Matt Kim wrote a really in-depth article um, that basically followed up on some previous articles that we had um, we had seen about NetherRealm uh, where they basically um, – they, like Ed Boone has come out and bragged about how you just never had to lay anybody off or anything else like that. But really what, what that studio is doing is they're exploiting the labor system that exists in this country. Um, and they're having a good chunk of their games uh, be created by temps so, um, or, or contract workers. So these are people that don't ever get any sort of benefits. Uh, they don't get health care. They don't get 401k. They don't get anything else like that. But they're they're essentially the workers that are producing a huge chunk of the content that we're seeing in NetherRealm's games. And uh, a couple years back when Injustice 2 got released, um, there was that leak uh, before Injustice 2 got released. And the head of their studio apparently dragged um, – the guy's name is uh, – let's see here. Where is it? The last name is Himerick. Um, basically, he's just a, a giant douchebag. And uh, basically what he was trying to do um, is when this leak happened, he dragged a bunch of their uh, contractors uh, into a room, right? And he had the the leads and the full-time people standing there uh, upset, and he screamed at these temps and these contractors about how they lost millions of dollars in marketing. Um, And there have been people that have come out and corroborated this, um, both people that were named and people that also wanted to remain anonymous. Um, and 
one of the things that, that Hemerick said was you guys should be investigating this to the temps and to the contractors. You know, one of you guys did this. And then he later told the group, one of your coworkers in this room is literally fucking you right now. And so it, it brings up this culture and this idea that the only thing that matters to these folks is money. Like if you guys saw the response uh, last week when somebody came out and said like you would need to spend like $6,000 to buy everything in Mortal Kombat 11. And then Ed Boon kind of came out and just kind of did an LOL like we'd never do that and blah, 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 blah. And and so he, seeing these stories kind of goes against the sort of good guy nature that Ed Boon and the people at NetherRealm really kind of want to want to – put out there for public consumption. So like one of the things that's happened in the past is Ed Boone um, has, has bragged that I don't even fire my full-time employees, which is really interesting because it sounds like NetherRealm has a hand, pretty much a handful of full-time employees and then they stick the rest of the work on these contractors. One of the things that he said was um, he was basically fortunate enough to never um, lay anybody off, but this is a guy that also consistently ends contracts of dozens of people on a regular basis um, and if you like one of the things that, that Matt Kim looked at from us gamers, he took a look at LinkedIn and there's over 200 employees that are listed at working as another realm. But since the studio has never released any internal data, it's difficult for them to figure out who's full time and who's a contractor. So that's the other thing that's made this really kind of a sticking point for a lot of people and, and sort of the industry at large. Like we've, the big thing that we have here is the, the thing that stuck out to me. And I, I'm close to this kind of thing because I work for a software company. I don't make video games, but the exploitative nature that we're seeing from video game publishers and developers is really, really starting to wear under my skin, like not get under it, just wear under it. Like it stayed there and it's just chipping away because you don't have to treat people like this and you don't have to work them to death like this. The only reason that you're doing it, there's two specific reasons. The first is you are either incapable of planning appropriately or you are trying to produce a product as cheaply as possible so you can be as rich as fuck at the end of it when you come out of it. And one of the things that stuck out to me was one of the contractors said, I worked about 220 plus hours during a month last year, back to back, weeks and weeks and weeks of overtime. Everyone knew it would come up again for updates and DLC. It was almost endless. Now, one thing that's really important about this is – this NetherRealm is based in Chicago. So yeah. the people that live in Chicago that want to get into game design, they don't have a lot of options, right? Unless they want to move out to Silicon Valley or, or somewhere like that where the cost of living is exponentially higher, right? Uh-huh. Now, when we talk about places like McDonald's, when we talk about places like Burger King or anybody else like that that has a labor force that they depend on, the number one thing that you always see with all of those uh, labor forces is those companies pay those people minimum wage, and that's the sticking point for me in this article and all the stuff that I've read about Nether Realms after this is that Nether Realms, so in Chicago, as of last year, minimum wage is $12 an hour. Nether Realms is paying these people that are doing the bulk of their work $12 an hour. So they're paying a bare minimum to get this stuff. And what they're doing is, is, the leads and the full-time employees and the managers and everything else like that, what they're doing is they're taking advantage of a workforce that basically doesn't have a lot of other options in that area, right? If they want to stay there, if if they like the cost of living where they're at and things like that, um, 
they don't have a lot of options in the Chicagoland area. So you're, what's, what's happening is, is two things. The first is, is that you're slamming an asinine amount of crunch on these people because, like I said, either A, you can't plan, or B, you don't have enough full-time employees in the first place. And what you're doing, and, and this is something that I know from personal experience, is what a lot of software companies will do is in a period where they have an influx of work that was like, basically over their estimates, like say they expected to produce – like when you're doing – um. When you're creating UI elements and things like that, uh, most of the time you employ a business analyst to do that. What a business analyst does is they basically write out what is supposed to happen when you do this thing. So if you have a screen that comes up and it's like, say, for instance, the title screen. If I scroll down to this and I hit options, I expect it to then go into an option screen that will display this information, right? Those are called stories. And so what happens is, is the business analyst will write these stories and then hand them over to a technical developer so that they can actually build that stuff out. And then from there, you go into a quality analyst uh, position or portion of it where a quality analyst person checks that to make sure that what you actually, the business analyst initially asked for is produced in the game, right? Or mm-hmm. the software or whatever the case may be. So you can do that with how characters work or anything else like that. Like when I press X, I expect him to throw his left hand out, like that kind of thing. And so you just iterate, and iterate, and iterate. And it works a little bit differently with video games depending on who the, the developer is. But that's how most software is developed, okay? So when you do that, you know you can only produce X amount of stories in X amount of time. That's why management is so important when you're trying to get something like this done and being able to manage those expectations realistically. So when it stuck out in that article, this guy said that he was working 220 plus hours a month. That's basically 60 hours a week, right? Some people might not think that's bad. That is fucking awful. It's when brutal. you're sitting, it's brutal. When you're sitting in a cubicle, you're not seeing daylight or anything else like that. You're eating shit food because you can't walk away from your desk or anything else like that. That will royally fuck somebody up. And later in the article, the same person that talked about working 220 hours said, we all relied on crunch just to get extra income. Now, this is another thing that's really important because – the extra income they're getting is because they are lowballing these temporary workers. And what they're doing is, and they mention this later in the article, is they're paying a minimum wage, but they're dangling full-time positions in front of them. Like if you just work hard enough, then you know a full-time position will open up for you. So what that does is that creates a race to the bottom with the employees that feel like if I just outwork the other guy, then I will get a position at this studio. And the thing is, is people that go into video game development go into video game development because they love video games and especially a video game title like Mortal Kombat or a studio like NetherRealm that has these deep roots for a lot of these people that might have played this stuff when they were like the original Mortal Kombat when they're 8, 9, or 10 being able to go work at a company like NetherRealm would be like the equivalent of like oh my god this is a dream so yeah I'll take the hit at the beginning and I'll bust my ass and I'll do everything else that I'm supposed to do because I've been brought up to believe that if I work hard enough, then good things will happen. And what's happening in this situation is NetherRealm is exploiting that very same base of people, most likely partially their own fucking fans, paying them shit wages, getting them to produce a game that they're making millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars off of that have an insane monetization scheme added into it to also make millions and millions and millions of dollars for. And then as soon as they're done producing that product, they cut those people. And I don't care – how you look at it or what your position is, you can be super pro-capitalism and pro-business and everything else like that. The fact of the matter is is that if you are producing something like this that requires labor, then your labor is the most important part of what you do. 
If you secure good labor, then you produce good things. And this is the key difference that we've heard between these crazy developers and these crazy stories like what we've heard with NetherRealm, what we heard a while back with Bioware, what we've heard from Bungie and all these other things is what's happening is – and this is something I know personally from people that I know that work in the industry that have software experience. They go off. They do their thing at these different video game companies. They deal with the volatility and they say, fuck it. And then they go work for someone like Microsoft and work in like their office division. Because the hours are steady, the pay is good, and they don't have to deal with this bullshit because they're not having to quantify things like, well, does this feel really fun? And they're not having to deal with higher-ups like this Hemrick guy who have their fucking head up their ass and are completely disconnected from the people that are actually making their games. And Now, what I wonder, um, is is he a NetherRealm guy or is he a – He's the head of NetherRealm. He's the president. Uh Boone is the creative director. So, you know, you could, depending on how they actually have their company structured, you know, he could be just as, as, um, as important as this guy. But Himmerich specifically is the head of NetherRealm. And so one of the things that we talk about a lot at my job and I talked about because I've been in management before is this, it's a military term. It's called command presence. And you guys have probably heard me talk about it before. Command presence just dictates that the person at the top sets the tone for how everyone below them behaves. So if you have a dickhead like this screaming on his employees, trying to turn them against one another, and he does this in public, in front of his own employees, then that means that all of the people beneath them are going to emulate that. And this article backs that up because they basically talks about how these temps were basically pitted against each other. And the thing is, is that if we want this industry to survive, if we want, and I'm not saying this is a gloom and doom is like all of a sudden video games are going to die tomorrow or something else like that. But what we're dealing with now is a tremendous amount of brain drain where people look at, look what happened with Bioware, where people take leave of absences for one to three months for stress and then never come back. Yeah. So that could be somebody that a few years down the line could produce something absolutely mind blowing, but they'll never know because they're not going to stay in it. There's, there becomes a point where you're, you're being a fan of the product and, and the dream of working at a place like NetherRealm or BioWare or Bungie or Blizzard or whatever isn't enough because it's exacting a toll on you based on those hours and the things that are being asked of you that you can't quantify in money, right? And you can't yeah. quantify that stress in a way that is healthy for you. Cause and I know this because I've been through this personally in my role that I was in and it took a, I had to take a long, hard look at myself and what I was doing and why I was doing those things. Because one of the things that happens with a lot of these software companies, man, especially if you've been somebody that was a retail drone or anything else like that, you go from a position where you were treated really badly and into a position where you're like in this nether realm instance where you're still probably getting treated really shitty. But then you also think about the pedigree of where you're working at. Because that's the other thing that these these and most of these are probably kids too. Is they're thinking this is the first AAA title that I've worked on. This is going to look incredible on my resume, but the thing is, is it really doesn't. It really doesn't. All it's doing is showing that you're okay with being exploited. And I I heard people. Um, I got into a pretty pretty heated argument um, in a thread on Reset Era about this, where somebody was like. Well, you know, you because I said we have to. There has to come a point where you have to stop buying this kind of thing. If you don't support these practices, then you can't give them your money. And somebody responded back and said that doesn't help. Bad reviews and lackluster sales will only force layoffs and more contracts. So this will be the final thing that I say about it. You guys can talk about however you want, but this is 100% how I feel. If we are expected 
to continue to buy these games because some developer said, oh, well, it, you know, if you don't buy these, it still hurts us and all this. Other. Fuck that. These contracts are horrid in the first place. These temps are getting paid minimum wage. Meanwhile, people like this Himmerich, who's the studio head, who fucking makes six figures, is screaming on a bunch of people in the same way that you would expect the president of McDonald's to scream at the guy working the fucking cash register. And when it's you look definitely at the, some fucking Walmart shit. It's absolutely some Walmart shit. And Pat, I know you know about that shit, that yep. disconnect, these fucked up people. I do, too. I used it's, to work at Walmart yeah. as well. It's Everybody has been in a retail situation where they have people like this. And the thing is, is what, what gets to me is how many times – do we have to see this story about all these developers and then actually do something like not reward this behavior with money? Like I know you guys are all happy with Mortal Kombat and 11. I'm not fucking mad at y'all for doing it. But as far as we weren't out there. Exactly. Um, they weren't out. When we right? pre-ordered. And that's fine. And everybody can do whatever they want. And that's totally fine. But the thing is, for me, I went from wanting to buy it to I'm not fucking with these people at all because I – I'm, I've been in this situation personally. And the thing is you don't get a fundamental change from a company like NetherRealm or BioWare or Bungie or Blizzard or anybody else like that unless you take away their money and you slather them in bad publicity. And the thing that sucks about this is that even though NetherRealm is obviously treating people this way and this story broke late, they're going to sell a whole jillion copies of Mortal Kombat 11. And what's going to happen is, is that even though somebody like look, – look what happened with Randy Pitchford. And all the bullshit that he's pulled, right? Yep. And but Borderlands Three is still going to sell gangbusters. We know Mortal Kombat Eleven is still going to sell gangbusters. And what's going to happen is is that the video gaming public as a whole is telling these publishers that they are incensed by these things that are happening. But I guarantee you, these publishers are going to double down on this because they're still making money. They're going to double down on it. They're not going to fix it because they're being financially rewarded for this behavior. And I heard other people saying you should absolutely unionize and that would fix this problem. A unionization for the video game industry would be fantastic, but it wouldn't fix this problem because depending on where you live, unions won't cover contracted workers or temps. So a union is not going to fix this situation and get somebody union benefits. NetherRealm has tons of contractors specifically so they can exploit them, pay them as little as possible, and get as big a return on investment as they can. This is by design, and that is capitalism. It's the situation and the system that we live in. But the human factor of this at some point has to mean something to somebody. How many more of these stories are we going to see before people go, I love video games a lot, but I like people more? And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna support this kind of thing. And that's where we're gonna have to get like a unions get to it. Unions not gonna solve it. People have to be able to go. You know what? Fuck you. I've got 500 other games that I can play. I don't need to play your game because of the way you're fucking treating people. Yeah. And that's just all there is to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some of it is we have a shitty work uh, work ethic in this country. As far as we're told that we need to work harder and harder and harder. Uh, you know, no sick days, no vacation, no nothing, no feeling good at all ever when you work in, uh, unless you happen to get like a dream job at a place where you probably have some say in it, where you are. And people are starting to know. come around on that too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like a place I used to work at used to have, you know, seasonal people come in when the, when they had more work to do and they would just have them work on anything, like just make a bunch of shit even if they didn't need it, just so they were doing something. And eventually they figured out, hey, if we just work on stuff we actually need, uh, we don't have to have people work in you know, extra hours on the weekends uh, and staying over and doing over all this overtime. You know, and everybody working like 
uh, you know, four days a week, 10 hour days, like it actually got better that way. Your pay was still shit because they weren't going that far before it. Um, but yeah, like you can't always just throw more people at it, at the problems. You need to work smarter. And like we talked about last week, I mentioned like, why do we need an infinite amount of towers? Yeah. <laughs> why do we need the the crypt to be like a randomized seed for each person so you can't share like where the cool stuff is? Like why do you need like all this extra you don't shit? You need to re-roll it. <laughs> yeah. Like it makes – that would make sense if like they keep adding stuff to it. But even then it's like, you know, why, why does this game have to be so mm. huge, so – Cost so much money and all this, and it's like you guys like the like Warner Brothers is giving them funds, and they're just finding ways to spend it on extra stuff. And it's like not every game has to be like you know right. the, the last game squared. Yeah, the last thing this person is ever going to play. And the other problem with that too, like Chris, I think what you said is absolutely right because I think part of this is also coming from there's a fundamental brokenness to the way that we treat labor in America. Like they they couldn't pull this shit in the EU. You know, no. like it just would not fucking happen. But we have, for lack of a better term, we have fetishized this idea that if you work three million hours, then you're going to be successful. You you even have people like um, like uh, Elon Musk coming out and be like, if you're not working 80 hours a week, then you're what the fuck are you doing with your life? Yeah. Fuck you, man. Like, like with, the, with the promise of like advancement and all that. Yeah. Like- and, and that's the thing. It's the promise that's fucking these people. It's going, yeah. we're going to get you this, guys. And they don't. They don't yeah. because it's not in their interest to do so. And that's yeah. the thing that's fucked up. And that, that the worst part about it is, is that you're taking advantage of that workforce because video games are very specific with this. Look, I mean, fuck, man. Look at how many people just in games that we talk about every day where these companies do horrible things, not, not just to their people, but to their customers. And people are totally willing to go, I'm so offended by this, but you know what? I'm going to bend over and take it because I really want to play the new thing that you're going to finally give me. Yeah. And like that's the shit that – and. and that's yeah. the same thing that's happening in their workforce. Well, I get to work at some prestigious place like X. Isn't that great? They serve us breakfast in the morning. Yeah, but you're working fucking 80 hours a week and you don't see your family. Yeah. Yeah, like we talked about the epic news last week of them. The reason why those updates are coming out so fast is because they were working crazy amounts of hours. Yeah. And I've seen people are way more offended by the psionics news than that the labor situation. Right. People gave up on that as soon as there was some other reason to hate Epic. Yeah. That didn't involve actually talking about you know issues that are actually important in this industry. Right. Versus just, oh no, a, de- a developer making a game I like is now a co- owning them. Yeah. That's offensive to me and everything I stand for. It's like, what? That's the, the crunch. You should be way more interested in the people working on the games you like having, you know, a normal life and not having to right. give up that life just so you have, you know, 50 different skins for this character that are slightly different from the previous ones. And the other part about that is, is what do those 50 skins really do? Yeah. I and mean, does it, does it make the point, game any better? No, I don't think it does. I mean, we've come to a point now where games are, well, because they're being treated as these constantly evolving things uh, that, you just you're expected to spend all of your time in. They do uh, all of these da- these daily challenges. They have uh, RPG daily, leveling. weekly, monthly challenges. Yeah. 
uh, you know, seasonal events, uh, all all of that stuff. Double XP weekends. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just uh, there's a, I think there's a big drop off when people start playing these games and then uh, sticking around with them uh, because yeah. yeah. It starts to feel like a job after a while. No, yeah. and, and that's that's one of the things that this industry is also going to have to eventually come to grips with is that if, this, if your attitude is constantly we're we're going to design to have this be the only thing that somebody plays and to do like four that was one of my biggest issues with Forza Horizon Four is that they stuck in a bunch of unnecessary shit that in my opinion broke the way that the game should actually fucking work. And like the the worst part about that is, is, and and this is the other part of this that I don't think a lot of people talk about is when you look at these things like loot boxes or anything else like that, not only are we talking about the exploitative nature of the things that are going on, but you're also not talking about what this does to some people that have certain personalities where this kind of shit really fucks them up, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and like, you know, I've, I've read stories about people that, don't even like some of the games that they're playing, but because there's this this thing dangled in front of them, yeah, and this new thing that they could get, they're still going to log in and they're still going to do all of this stuff, even though it's not really that fun for them because they're taking advantage of somebody who might have a fear of missing out on something. Or and, and like look at look at I think the crypt situation with MK11 is is perfect. The the now granted I don't have hands on experience with it, but I've read a bunch of stuff, and the biggest takeaway that I've been able to get from it is is a bunch of people are like they randomize everything. So I can't actually get the shit that I want. And essentially they, it feels like they want to force me into just saying fuck it and buying the things that I actually want. And I know that for the randomization, they keep that shit up because it, they want to create a sense in the person that's playing to go, I may not see this thing again because it just popped up and it's in this eight-hour window. I mean, fuck, we saw Steam used to do that for years, remember? Mm-hmm. When a sale came up, it was like, fuck, will I ever get this cheap again? I should absolutely buy it now. <laughs> and yeah. and what we're seeing is we're seeing that same – like, dude, a company that I, you guys know I used to have a ton of love for is Blizzard. Blizzard, um, like two months ago, right before all this news dropped about how they were laying people off and all this shit – Blizzard came out with this thing for WoW where they were basically selling all of the deluxe edition content from like three of their expansions and said, get this, guys, before it goes away. It's a digital fucking item. There's no reason. They're not they're not worried about a physical location of something or warehousing anything. So they created this idea that this stuff was scarce, and then they had a bunch of people buy it because they said, we're going to take it away. And we also yeah. see other companies not even in video games do this. Disney does this. Disney's fucking notorious. Guys, yeah. we're going to release this movie, and then we're going to put it back in the vault and you may never see it again so buy the fucking super platinum diamond edition like and yeah, it, that and you're like oh bullshit you're not gonna sell us aladdin ever again of course you right, are of course you are but the thing is is with video games it's like way fucking worse because instead of it just being a movie it's every fucking game you buy it's a skin you're, you're never yeah. gonna get this skin again it's you're like, never gonna get this thing yet like i see it with my son with fortnite like the latest you know he plays fortnite he doesn't really care about skins but he's got one of his friends i found out spent like four thousand dollars on fortnite and this kid's like 12 and it's, it's like, like the, when they put out skins that are 20 bucks they apparently sell a ton how they don't the show blue up very fuck often. do you spend that much money on fortnite because it's all about those skins, and it's creating that same idea. This is a limited edition. I may not ever get it again. You can also buy the tiers for the battle pass in there. Yeah, and they're doing it. The thing is, they're doing it right now because they now have Marvel skins in it. So, like a couple of days ago, it was a Black Widow skin. I think like today, it's a Star Lord skin. Who knows what it'll be tomorrow? But it'll be like you know, this may never get offered again, guys. So the whole fear of missing out—you should absolutely buy this yeah. right now. And the thing you know is, what? 
There are you know people what? that can't uh, resist that shit. Yeah. You know who came up with the idea for the idea of buying levels for your battle pass? Mm-hmm. That was Valve. <laughs> it was Dota 2. Yeah. Yep. You could buy uh, for the different like themed like battle passes for their uh, esports events. Mm-hmm. Like you could literally spend thousands of dollars. You would also get items that you could probably sell on the marketplace. But people are investing tons of money on that stuff, and it's like, yeah, this is fucked up. Like you have to buy so you don't have to play the game to upgrade your battle pass. But but the other thing about it too is is that it also speaks to however the fuck the game might actually be formatted. That there's even a shortcut that that's available like this. I remember we saw it with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where it was like. Hey guys, you want to just buy this XP booster? And there was a lot of people that were like, "Yo, this is obviously how this was meant to be played." Like the XP that you get from the XP booster apparently levels out the whole game. And what it was is the only people that I saw fighting against that were people that were like, "Well, if you just do everything in the game, you'll be leveled appropriately." Yeah, but if I'm doing the go capture this tower for the 87th time because yeah. Ubisoft was able to randomly generate this, is that actually fun? And so it's yeah. the same thing where you get into that idea of. Why are people even doing this? Yeah. You know, yeah, I was and, and playing I think Odyssey. There's, there's, there's people that can't help it. Yeah. Yeah, I was playing Odyssey and I ran into the billboard and I was like, oh, this is just randomly generating missions. And so if it's like, oh, you have to do this in 72 hours, like, wait, why do I have to do this in 72 hours? It just tells me to go over here and kill like 20 dudes. <laughs> yeah. It's not a unique thing. No. That's half the quest in that game is, uh, you know, go here and kill these dudes or go here and, you know, find this thing. Yeah, uh, and it's like Starlink has a random generator button for missions. Uh, if you're just you know bored or whatever, I guess. Yeah, uh, and it's yeah, like we don't need infinite content in games in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Diablo, I think is kind of perfect the way they're doing it, which is just kind of you can keep going through it over and over and over again. Yeah, it's kind of the same content, uh, and then they have the season stuff as well, where you know you don't have to invest into that if you don't want to. Um. And you only get, like, benefits out of it. It's just like, hey, you start a new character, uh, and you can even keep that character after the the event is over. Mm. And so you're not necessarily, like, doing all this just for uh, a special event for, like, a week or whatever. Mm. It all goes away. Yeah, and so what yeah. you're doing is you're just creating an artificial scarcity for something that doesn't need to be done. And yeah. you're doing it specifically because you think that your your people don't, don't the people that you're selling this to don't know any better. Mm. And, the, and the fact is though, to be fair, we've really, a lot of people have frankly proved that to them. Like they're willing to jump in and fucking take this. And yeah. th- that's why you're going to continue to see companies like nether realm do this stuff with their temps because they're going to get them to work on 75 skins for scorpion and fuck these people in the ass, you know, but they're going to make their money. Mm. So, so I guess we could wrap that up there uh, on a down note. Sorry. Sorry to be so long-winded about it. This is just something. No, you probably crazy. saved the episode. This was a shitty news cycle. Yeah, <laughs> just, this is just something that's super, super close to me because yeah. I've been through it, man. And yeah. I just, they're, they're, these games aren't made by fucking robots. All these things that you love are being made by someone. Yeah, yeah. And, and those the players aren't robots not be either. Like shit. Yeah. Exactly. Like let them be done with the game and move on. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, because then you have, you know, sequels or expansions or whatever yeah. that you can bring them back in. Like, it's not the end of the world if people take a break from, uh, you know, FIFA or Madden or, you know, Overwatch or whatever. Mm. It's not the end of the world. No. Mm. 
All right. So uh, I guess we'll let you go, Lee. You got a, the rest of your day to uh, to get through. Yeah, I got a bunch of shit I get done. I'm glad I could join you guys for the first part of it, though. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, so we'll uh, catch you. Pro- probably won't see you next week. Uh, no, because, yeah, it's Mother's Day. I won't be there next week, but I'll be there afterwards. All right. All right, guys. Take care. Take it easy. Later. 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 Yeah. Uh, so uh, moving on, we, uh, we'll jump back up. Uh, we got our May PlayStation Plus and Games with Gold games for, yep. uh, uh, yeah, kind of a shitty month, I'll be honest. Yeah. Uh, it's a weird month. And people are letting Sony know it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So you want to go through these, uh, Chris? Uh, yeah. For PlayStation Plus, uh, let's see. We have What Remains of Edith Finch, which is a great game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you want to reflect on how not fucked up your family is, uh, especially with Mother Day, Mother's Day coming up, <laughs> uh, this is a good game to play. Oh, yeah. Because uh, this is a fucked up family. Yeah. Yes, it not is. Not for any, like, evil reasons, just this is, like, really bad luck for a family. Yeah. Uh, and it's a really good story, and the the different stories you get yeah. are all told differently. Yeah, basically, yeah. imagine all the awful stuff that can happen to a group of good people. Yeah, yeah. game. <laughs> yeah, people just want to be a family and have a new life in uh, the U.S. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And nothing goes right for anybody. No, mm-hmm. a lot of tragic endings. Um, I guess if you want to hate your family, uh, play Overcooked. It's the other game. <laughs> Because uh, it's a game about uh, a hectic cooking experience, uh, co-op focused, mm. and uh, if you really want to hate your uh, your kids, your parents, your loved ones, whatever, uh, this is a good game to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, those will be available on Tuesday. Yeah, uh, those are both good games. Yeah, uh, just games that have been discounted a lot. Yeah, often. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, for Xbox Live Games with Gold, uh, let's see, available right now is Marooners, which I don't really know too much about. I think it's a co-op party game kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ten bucks normally, and it's very much a reason I haven't bought it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that I'm only getting it through this. Uh, that's available till the end of the month. Uh, starting on the 16th is the Golf Club 2 featuring PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, the... This is Golf Club 2019 featuring PJ Tour. I don't know why they say two on the, yeah. the thing here, but those are two different games. I think the Golf Club 2 is supposed to be bad, but the PJ Tour thing is supposed to be uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, that's a solid golf game. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of showing you how weird the PJ Tour license is now that this weird indie game uh, that kind of got picked up by 2K a little bit for publishing uh, is kind of the only way you get the PGA Tour, not really professional golfers in it. Yeah, It's just licensed courses, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's really weird. Nobody cares about the, the players, I guess, anymore. Uh, it's, the, it's the courses that are the important thing, but that's, that's a real weird like uh, content creation game. People make their own courses and all that, share them with each other, and come up with some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a no-frills, you know, low presentation kind of game. Uh, let's see. For the Xbox 360 stuff, there is Earth Defense Force Insect Armageddon. It's available now. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the bad ones. Yeah, that's one of the. I think the ones, ones that are not but... numbered are. Yeah. yeah. The bad ones. Yeah. The one they tried to make for the West and yeah. it didn't go well. Nope. Which I think the recent one they did that was the same kind of thing didn't mm-hmm. go well either. Um. See, so available on the 16th is Comic Jumper, which is a game I really like a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a new or one of the more recent twisted pixel games. Yeah. Uh, coming off of uh, Explosion Man. Mm. This is one that's just influenced by different eras of comics. Mm. Uh, there's like a Conan style comic. There's a manga, Japanese manga mm-hmm. uh, style uh, section of that game. One's on the Silver Age, I think, mm-hmm. and one on a more modern, uh, like 70s, 80s kind of style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really cool, silly game. It has uh, Christopher Sabat in it. Mm-hmm. He plays the voice of the star, mm-hmm. uh, who you might know as Piccolo. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's been kind of really half the cast of that. Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What is he? Piccolo, Vegeta, and a couple others. Yeah. Is anybody with a gruff voice? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, that's a good game. Yeah, so, so be like two out of four, I guess. Two out of four mm-hmm. on the Xbox One, and well, the two on the PS4 are not bad. They're just kind of old and yeah, yeah. good if you haven't played them yet. Yeah. Still. Uh, and yeah. So, Which I ran into today, so my card expired. Hmm. Uh, not my gold subscription, so I can't get the Earth Defense Force game. Oh. Because it's, I don't know. There's <laughs> something weird going on, because it wouldn't let me update it. I guess maybe I don't have enough funds on it for whatever random amount they put on there to double check that it's good. Yeah. So it's just like, you need to check your info. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure this is right. <laughs> so I had to put some money on my card just so I can get this free game I don't really want. Yeah. Because Microsoft hasn't consolidated their billing yet, because, yeah. They don't really care about it, I guess. Yeah. Because you still can't buy 360 games on an Xbox One without a card. Because nope. uh, you can't use credit on that. Yeah. I guess what they want you to do. They want you to do the reward stuff to get the credit. You can't spend it on anything. stuff from the previous gen. Hmm. Or the, I assume the Xbox games are the same way. Because I think it's also technically Xbox 360 PC uh. games. No, I don't think so. No. Really? Okay. Yeah, those are those are like Xbox One. You can only. use credit on those too. Yeah, you can. Okay. Yeah, they purchase like the Xbox One games. Gee, they couldn't figure that out for Xbox 360, could they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway. all right, so uh, let's get on to the rest of the stories. Of the Maybe day. the one of like two or three new uh, good news here. Oh. Mm-hmm. This first one here. Yeah, yeah, Bloodstained. <laughs> Finally, we get the release date. Yeah. Uh, it's next month, June 18th, to be precise. Um, this. Uh, the, the, how long has this game technically been in development now? Uh, well, I think the Kickstarter was 2014 or 2015. So about five years. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, but I, I got to say, they've been completely transparent with the development. Uh, mm-hmm. Even you know, saying yes, we switched developers a few times. Uh, that hasn't. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, it, it's never a good sign when you when your game switches developers three times in the course of its de- development cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and they canceled a couple editions of it. Yeah, the Wii U Different version platforms. I think got canned, and uh, the Vita version as well. I think. Yeah, but yeah. then again, those uh, those formats kind of went obsolete during the development cycle. So, yeah. Yeah. but you know, they let people opt to uh, get other formats. You know, if that was the thing, I, I don't think anybody's really gonna like die hard, hang on to uh, the, the Wii U version. Like, no, I have to play Bloodstained on the Wii U. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think that would really happen. So, 
So we'll get our keys in about a month. Uh, that's gonna mm-hmm. be that's gonna be great. Oh yeah, <laughs> fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, I, I've been looking at the stuff that they've been doing, and it's like oh my god, this game looks amazing. Yeah, and can we play it like soon, please? Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so we'll move on there. Uh, next up, we got a story from Microsoft. Uh, they're having their Minecraft 10th anniversary. So you'd think that they'd probably want to uh, invite Notch to it because he created Minecraft. No, no. They they, they uninvited him. Mostly yeah. because Notch is a lunatic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a toxic person. Toxic person. I mean, if you're uh, uh, homophobic, transphobic, anti-Semitic, uh, QAnon-believing type person, uh, you kind of, and you, you really... Is it much of a wonder why Microsoft would go, no, actually, we're not going to have you over. Um, yeah. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Bye. Uh, yep. That'll be, let's see, the event is May 17th at Mojang's offices in Stockholm, Sweden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they also scrubbed him from the loading screens yeah. of Minecraft as well. We're have, like, little yeah. quips and stuff like that. He's still mm-hmm. in the credits, so they haven't erased him completely. And that's about as much as he deserves at this yeah. point. Yeah. He basically became the Papa John of gaming. <laughs> yeah, he made uh, he got a nice big check from Microsoft, and then he seemed like he um, thought that he could just say whatever the hell he wanted to. Yeah, uh, well, I could. Yeah, well, he, he can. But everybody else realized burned every bridge how, that he had. Yeah, mm. realized how bad of a person he always was. He just never talked about it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, because it's it's like these things don't develop overnight. Uh, no. If if, uh, if these things like show up, it's because they were deep rooted in somebody's personality. So yeah, uh, yeah. And he basically become a miserable person when he got rich. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he wonders why nobody wants to talk to him or hang out with him or anything. Mm. Yeah. Not even with his candy uh, dispensers. <laughs> his mansion. Yeah. yeah. Because you know it's you think that it maybe you hope. Maybe at some point that he'll have enough uh, self ref- sense of self reflection to realize that uh, he's the problem. That he might have the problem might be him. Yeah, you'd think. And but uh, doesn't seem to be the case right now. No. Uh, yeah, I- I'm kind of with Microsoft on this one. Honestly, there's uh, yeah. if you if you're going to be hosting uh, an event for Minecraft. Where you're gonna have a lot of kids watching and attending, mm-hmm. probably not a good idea to have the toxic influence there. Just yeah, just saying. yeah, so. yeah. There's enough of that in the Minecraft community. Yeah, some of it inadvertent, some of it very advertent. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, so there's some interesting policy changes at Riot, which yeah. is confusing me. <laughs> yeah. So for those who don't know, Riot, they're the guys who do League of Legends. Um, and I think it was a f- last year that we started getting, uh, the, uh, accusations of, uh, widespread, se- uh, sexual harassment and otherwise toxic yeah. working environment. Mm-hmm. Very much like a, a shitty bro, uh, culture there. Yeah. People Which, like if you've doing- ever played League of Legends, let's just, like... Yeah, I can totally see that. <laughs> uh, complete with like guys that would just ball tap each other. Mm. Yeah, and it's like, man, fuck off with that shit. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and basically, uh, 
Quiet. Uh, they are now realizing, holy shit, we're kind of, we could seriously, uh, we don't start raining shit in, we could totally lose shit. And one of the things they're doing is they're actually blocking their current employees from suing them. So, yeah, screw yeah. you, Riot. They're having to go into, like, private arbitration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Arbitration clause, that's something that a lot of companies like. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I wonder why it's not very great for the employee. We'll put it that way. Yeah, um, so they kind of backed off of it a little bit by allowing new hires to uh, opt out of that clause if they want to. But here's but the thing: not their problem. <laughs> not their problem, and it also means that it might uh, prevent them from getting any kind of uh, promotions or. You know, like you know, like if they find out later on, it's like, oh, this uh, person opt out of the uh, arbitrate private arbitration clause. Oh, maybe we'll uh, go over to this other person for a promotion. Yeah, Ugh. yeah, it's it's not a good look in any way. No, no. I don't know why they think this would be the best way to uh, deal with this. No, like that people wouldn't, you know, publicly uh, put this out there for other people to know. Yeah. To like encourage, like, hey, you think about working here? Uh, maybe not. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. So, oh, yet another shitty industry practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, we are on the uh, we're on the cusp of seeing all of this shit collapse on itself. Yeah, just, I don't think it's far off. Yeah, something's gonna give, and you're just gonna see something. I don't think it's going to be quite as damaging as what happened in the 80s, but you're going to see some very spectacular implosions. Yeah. You know, the game, the game, the gaming medium and the gaming market will survive, but you're going to see some of the old school finally, some of the old companies are finally going to implode and it's going to be fireworks. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the the big mega corps that are focused on one game, like mm-hmm. Riot. Yeah, well, they're not necessarily well diversed of their of their, all their interests. No, uh, just although, yet at least. Although Riot has a uh, uh, Tencent has a big uh, ownership stake in Riot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they also have a big ownership stake in Epic and Ubisoft and Blizzard. Yeah. And I'm also pretty sure that uh, some of the guys in Tencent are uh, also – because Tencent is a Chinese company, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one or two of their uh, fire-ups are uh, are uh, influential members in the Communist Party of China. Mm-hmm. So if that implodes <laughs> – yeah. Bad things will happen. Yes. <laughs> yes. So anyways – uh, but yeah, let's we can move on to Epic uh, because they made a big announcement uh, this week uh, where they're acquiring Psionics, uh, creators of Rocket League. Yep. Uh, the implication is that uh, you're not going to be able to buy it on Steam anymore. Um, yeah, that's at least what people are saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but it's one of those things where Epic didn't go, didn't explicitly deny it. They said, yes, we're going to continue to support Steam. That's one thing. So, yeah, if, mm-hmm. if you already bought it on Steam, you're probably still good. Yeah. But if you want to buy it in the future, yeah, it's probably going to be on the Epic Game Store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is also kind of just good news for Psyonix. They get a, 
uh, a financially stable kind of uh, parent company. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rocket League is was pretty stable, but I think they were hoping to expand some things like their uh, Rocket League Championship Series uh, stuff. Yeah, that would be cool to see. And I think uh, having Epic uh, in their uh, on their side, they might be able to finally get like an account system together for that game, so that you can have all your items on any of the platforms you yeah. play on. Yeah, well, they have an account system; they just don't have a like. It's it's all separate. It's, it's kind of a generic account yeah. system. Yeah. Where you attach your like different console accounts and yeah. Steam accounts to that. Yeah. But that's mainly used for when you're watching Twitch. It'll know mm-hmm. what's like Twitch drop items to give you, uh, give you on the, those platforms. Yeah. Um, I think it's also kind of epic investing in this fairly stable source of in- income. Because uh, Rocket League, for being around for about four years, five years now, uh, hasn't really ever dipped. Uh, it's still a top seller on all the platforms it's on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it continues to do really well, and they haven't done anything that's really uh, terrible for the game. Yeah, like mm-hmm. they've just found cool ways to keep supporting the core things that people like while adding some new stuff on uh, top of that, like the battle, the rocket pass stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, which just this time around with uh, the third one, they added challenges so you can have uh, just some extra things to do, and like they're not designed to force people to play in weird ways. Yeah. Uh, like some have where it's like, oh, this person is playing Fortnite is just here to try and get these the specific gun mm. because they need to get the X amount of kills with it. Uh, and that just changes how you play the game. Whereas here, like the most like change thing they do is uh, ask you to use uh, a certain quick chat uh, message in at least once in a game uh, in you know X amount of games. Mm-hmm. So I see more people. I think this week's was wow, mm-hmm. which also just teach me what more like chat stuff is on there. <laughs> so now I know how to say wow. Mm. Uh, now you see a bunch of people just spamming it <laughs> throughout the match, <laughs> which... Uh, which is better than some of the shit people say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is a uh, that's kind of it, really. Other than asking people to like, play like a couple matches in the casual playlist or uh, check out some of the. Uh, the extra modes, which is like rumble, uh, drop, uh, drop shots, uh, the snow mode, the hockey mode there, and the basketball mode. Hmm. It's like those are all really cool stuff that people don't play enough of. Yeah, uh, just going by like the playlist numbers on that stuff. But yeah. and it seems like they just get like more secure uh, backing uh, with this versus being just one of the few indie devs that have kind of been able to strike out rich on their own. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm guessing uh, the the financial uh, benefit was probably good enough for them to uh, want to just you know jump ship from from yeah. an indie and be owned yeah. by Epic. So and they've had a long relationship with Epic. Uh, the original guys that founded that studio used to work at Epic. Yeah, uh, working on Unreal tournaments. I think 2003 and 2004. Mm-hmm. They essentially made like vehicle modes for that. They gave them the idea for doing Rocket League. Yeah, will become Rocket League. Like. Definitely give a watch to the no clip documentary on Rocket League. Mm. You'll find out. Oh yeah, they used to do all this. They worked on Gears of War, the original. They used to be kind of a support studio for a bit until mm. they made a supersonic, uh, acrobatic, rocket-powered battle cars. Yeah, which then became a sequel with uh, Rocket League. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I guess what everybody's really afraid of is what Epic is going to do once they get their once the the acquisition goes through. Yeah, uh, I think uh-huh. if they're smart, they'll just say, "You guys have been doing this really well. Just yeah. keep doing that and being cool, and we'll keep helping you out since this is also an Unreal game." Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah. so yeah, congrats to them, I guess. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. All right, so we have some weird eShop news. Uh, so Nintendo's removed a game from the eShop um, after their developers announced that it had a Ruby code editor and interpreter in there. Oh, yeah, so... Wow. Phil, what exactly is Ruby, and what does this kind of mean? Do you Ruby, know? Ruby is a programming language. Uh, yeah. It, uh, a, lot of, a lot of websites use it. Uh, you can run, uh, basically create applications, uh, websites. One of the things that's interesting about Ruby is that it has its own built-in server. So that uh-huh. may be what Nintendo was uh, a little bit hesitant about. Uh, so you could essentially like load on, uh, say, software that was not intended to be on the Switch. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, yes. That could open it wide open. <laughs> yes. Not that the uh, Switch isn't busted wide open already. Yeah, but... Like having just here's an official eShop game. Yeah. That just makes this even easier. Yeah. Uh, especially one that, and it's real weird that this guy just went out and did this so that uh, Nintendo, unsurprisingly, took it off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially two weeks after launch. Whoops. Uh, yeah. So I imagine it probably sold pretty well <laughs> that day as soon as this news started coming out. I guess so. Uh, and then whatever bump. That was because okay, it's the game is called A Dark Room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, on PC, I think, and he ported it to mobile and then to Switch, uh, and just revealed this two weeks later on Mastodon, <laughs> which is sort of an alternate Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and he said, "You all you have to do is uh, while you load uh, load up the game, connect a USB keyboard to the Switch, open it, and uh, press the tilde key." <laughs> And you gain access to an interpreter and code editor rooted in the Ruby programming language. This effectively turns every consumer spec Nintendo Switch into a Ruby machine. Yeah, which is uh, yeah, that's that's what he that's what he said. Uh, but yeah, that it also turns every Nintendo Switch into a web server. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so he also requested people to boost the information. Yeah. Which um, okay. So, if you wanted yeah. to never work on a Nintendo platform ever again, I guess <laughs> yeah, 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 mission accomplished. Um, so yeah, that's for the the dozens of people that bought this game. Yeah, well, I'm sure I can't imagine it was. Yeah, he probably sold a few thousand copies at least. Yeah, yeah, because Reddit I think blew up about this one. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> now it would have been even it would have been cooler if he had made that a gameplay mechanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So whatever. If it was just limited yeah. to uh, like you could mess with the parameters of the game and and whatever, then and Nintendo might not have had a problem with it. But uh, yeah, yeah. When you have and, a full blown Ruby instance in there and the ability to, to bring in you know other Ruby gems. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could basically do whatever the hell you want, and that's probably not Nintendo's best interests. Yeah. Uh, and it's not a good thing because he was working with a publisher named Circle Entertainment. Now he's uh, not he had working to put with a publisher a, called yeah. Circle Entertainment. Maybe <laughs> uh, as I said, a dark room was removed from the eShop on April 26th. We learned of the least likely reason for its removal through the weekend. We're liaising with uh, Nintendo to clarify on the next steps, and we'll deal with the matter accordingly. 
Yeah. Our regretful circumstances, and we apologize for the issue. We have always worked hard to carefully follow Nintendo's processes and turns throughout our history of publishing on DSiWare, 3DS eShop, Wii U eShop, and Nintendo Switch eShop. Mm-hmm. We're sorry there has been evident there has evidently been an issue with this title, so even they were kept in the dark. Yeah. Well, I don't think he did this maliciously, to be honest. Uh, no, this... but I think he did it stupidly. Yeah, well, I, I think he was thinking, well, this <laughs> very, is kind of cool. Very selfishly. Uh, yeah, it's like, I use, I use Ruby. It's, it's it's fun. Maybe I'll just throw that in there as a fun little Easter egg, not really knowing that he was opening a huge hole. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, he's... I guess he also spoke to Eurogamer after this whole thing happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, said, you can't even render an image with the damn thing. Uh, he said, but he also noted that, yes, if your app is composed entirely of labels, squares, and lines, like a dark room, then it'll let you build an app without having to perform any hacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went on to partially blame himself for sensationalizing this feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, also believes the narrative has played out online, contributed to misunderstandings about the mode actually did. Everyone is an armchair expert. Everyone thought the worst. You've seen it. I've been called a dick, idiot, and everything in between. I don't know if there's too much in between dick and idiot. Mm, no. Those are not all that different. Um, he believes the game and the code editor would have allowed, would have been allowed to stay in the eShop if it had been presented understood to be a sandbox that lets you mod the game or provide a medium for kids to code. Uh, City further regrets that these insults and misunderstandings have also splashed onto the game's publisher. Describing the last three days is the worst days of his life. Uh, but yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you don't tell anybody ahead of time. Yeah, that, that you want to do this, and and then you get upset it. that people misinterpret what you were doing. Um, I'm sorry, that doesn't really fly. Especially when you kind of present it as like this is potentially like a mod tool. Yeah, a mod uh, tool, people- and and then and then you like get people who are security conscious like me and thinking, okay, that's an attack potential attack surface. Yeah. Uh, even if he even if he sandboxed it, that doesn't mean that uh, the sandbox is completely impervious. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, I'm sure this will get removed and the game will get reposted and that will be that. But yeah, yeah. So let's get on to the last story of the day. We'll wrap up. Uh, we got the 2019 nominations for the Video Game Hall of Fame. Um, some interesting games in there, uh, including Solitaire. Uh, which I yeah. think has uh, systematically killed more productivity on Windows machines than any other. Yeah, day. it's true. <laughs> I mean, it's not either even that or Minesweeper. Yeah, yeah. Which is Minesweeper there. already in there? Yeah, it's in there. It's still there. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking like, no, I mean, is it in the Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah, it probably is. Yeah. Well, then, in that case, uh, now Solitaire <laughs> can properly join it. Yeah. Yeah. So we got that. Uh, what else was in there? Uh, Mortal Kombat was was nominated. Yeah, the original. Yeah. And uh, let's be honest. I mean, it deserves that. That game is a major part of gaming history for more ways than one, and not just as the uh, not just because of the the uh, uh, first it did as a game in and of itself, but the cultural impact it had. Yeah, yeah. And that's really what puts it there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then there was uh, Colossal Cave Adventure, which uh, if you're us, you probably have never played because this came out way before we were born. Probably. Yeah, it's like the first, like, yeah, isn't it like the first, like, modern text adventure? 
Yeah, yeah. This was being played on like you know mainframes on the early internet, uh, mm-hmm. back when it was still for education. Uh, yeah, so back yeah. when it was basically only available to like people in college and stuff, and, yeah. and MIT and shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Microsoft Solitaire, yeah, Mortal Kombat, and uh, let's see, Super Mario Kart. Well, there shouldn't be a hell of a lot of debate as to why that's in there. Yeah, that game is probably like the first major like casual game that mm-hmm. I can think of, in like on as far as consoles are concerned. Yep. Because even in no way, in no way is game. it controversial. Nope. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so and some know. would probably still say it's the best Mario Kart game. A lot of people really love that Super Nintendo version. I. It's uh. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have blue shells. Yeah. yeah, that's for one reason. Yeah. It doesn't have it does have red shells though. Yeah, yeah. you have to aim those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was kind of an amazing like three D racing game at yeah. a time where that was not all that common on the on any console. Yeah, I still prefer sixty four, yeah. but that's just me. Yeah, that was all right. Yeah, I never played that one. Hmm. That was good. Uh, I went from Super Mario. You Kart get run over by a train Kart. in that one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I went from Mario, Super Mario Kart to Mario Kart Eight. Wow, that's which was a very large gap yeah. in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's where like wait, I didn't even know about like the coins meaning anything because mm. it wasn't really noticeable all that much on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. Mm. Whereas once you get to uh, uh, something that's got great fidelity and kind of actual like competition, because like mm. mostly I play like you know multiplayer. Yeah. Mm. Uh, where that stuff like. No, they just threw a fucking shell at you, and you're stupid enough to get hit by it. <laughs> or you get the the lightning, all that sort of stuff. Like, uh, Kind of learning more about the depth of it, like the, the coins actually mattered, up to 10 at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty weird to find out. So, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of good games that were, well, four or five good games that were nominated this year. Uh, I'm glad that these games are being, you know, like, actually recognized for their societal uh influence basically mm-hmm. uh mortal Kombat, you know particularly well this year it's kind of timely because 11 came out but yep you can't forget that one oh boy uh did that game ever make a splash when it came out uh mm. yeah Anyway, so I guess we'll end it there, folks. Uh, it was mm-hmm. a hell of a show. Uh, despite the fact that the week was kind of slow, we still had some pretty good stuff to talk about. Yep. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So if you have not uh, checked out the show yet, uh, and this is your first time, you might consider subscribing at uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast aggregator. Uh, you can also check us out at the new and improved Smashpad.com over at Smashpad.com. Yeah, it no longer looks very, and doesn't look as live journaly as it used to. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, doing some work on that, and it's uh, now actually presentable. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Also, uh, remember last week when we were talking about uh, Subverse, right? A porno video game that made like it, when I last checked, uh, at the end of it, it made over two million pounds. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Polygon noticed it. Yeah, finally. Which means. Which means that now the mainstream media press knows it exists. <laughs> yeah. And will completely misinterpret everything about it, because that's, that's what they tend to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so for uh, Patrick Mifflin, Chris Sologi, Brendan Perkins, and the now absent Lee Lamb, I'm Philippe Lodinofo, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>